0: Have you ever seen a lighthouse at night, shining out across the shallows? It's a beautiful thing to behold. It's not something that's super common anymore for for you know necessity's sake. It's more of a a nice thing to visit while you're on vacation. Maybe have a picnic. Maybe get married under it. We have Jupiter Lighthouse down just just a little south of us. It's beautiful. I'm actually gonna get the privilege of performing a wedding there in a year, and I'm sure it's going to be such a beautiful day. Um, But sometimes we miss the purpose of these buildings. Before the times of of modern navigation technology, lighthouses were a tool to save people's lives. They were one of the things that that notified and, and illuminated for sailors in inclement weather that there was a coastline there. Maybe when they couldn't see the stars to navigate, they needed to see the, the piercing light through the fog that, hey, we're closer to shore than we thought. Sometimes it illuminated the, the correct path through an inlet and notified them of, of dangerous reefs right off the shore. So lighthouses are a beautiful thing, and I think it's a great analogy for the light of Jesus' gospel news. We're going to explore a conversation that Jesus had today with a guy about the light, about the goodness of God. So this series, we've entitled it Beholding the Light, an invitation to see Christ in dark places. And we're going to explore how Jesus illuminates the various darknesses in, in life with radical and undeserved love. We're going to be kind of, not kind of, we are going to be using uh, four accounts Uh, conversations that Jesus had with real people about their lives. Uh, Each account represents a type of person, a type of place we might be living. Today is about good people. Um, We're going to cover how Jesus lights up the darkness for people that may think they're too far gone, maybe maybe think they're too bad. How Jesus lights up the world for people that question and are skeptical of, of these beautiful truths. Too good to be true, right? And then... How Jesus lights up uh, pain and suffering with the the good news that that's temporary. One day there will be none of that. So for today, though, we're going to start with this topic of being a good person, and it's going to revolve around a conversation Jesus has with a professional do-gooder, a Pharisee named Nicodemus, and we're going to watch as he as he, question, as he as he proclaims to Jesus who he thinks Jesus is, and then Jesus says just comes right back with, well, Nicodemus, yes, but we're going to watch as slowly and surely Jesus lights up the darkness for Nicodemus and invites him to come into the light. So our scripture today is from John chapter 3. If you've got your Bibles, you want to open them up if you're old school or turn them on if you're less old school or look at the screen if you're really, really new. And Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So our first point, a good guy in the dark. On paper, Nicodemus was a good guy. He was a Pharisee. To uh, get to that level, you had to uh, know, understand, and do pretty well the entire commandments of God. So it's like 613 different commandments, both do's and don'ts. And he would have been a guy that succeeded in 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 following those things, this was a high honor. With it comes the responsibility of leading his people, uh, the Israelites, to do the same, to strive for that same level of goodness. And he did this to honor God. He did it because in his culture it was expected in a way to conform and fit into how they lived. And then ultimately the Pharisees did believe in an afterlife, a heaven. And they believed that if you uh, found favor with God by being obedient, you would end up there. So some good reasons, some things that, that we can all kind of get with, right? Now, every culture has some sort of moral ethical code in which you, you strive to live by, so you, maybe you fit in, or maybe it's a way to achieve uh, your ultimate destination in the afterlife, if you believe in that. But there's a complication with modernity's uh, striving after goodness, We've become more and more connected in the past hundred years, so so much so that you can go just a click of your phone and get countless opinions from influencers that are vying for your attention. They want to influence you to their brand of goodness, so you like, subscribe, share, so that you live your life according to what they think is good. They pitch to you all the things that come with this benefit of goodness. But as these voices try and win our approval, if you watch long enough and enough of them, you start to realize that there's a lot of disagreements and starting to be a bunch of conflicts as to what good should actually be. So in the 20th century, we had postmodernism sneak in and we have relativism. And what this is, is people looking around saying, all right, we got all this conflict about good. And now we need to figure this out maybe good should be whatever the individual decides good is as long as it's not bad for other people and there we find kind of a majority of of cultures moral landing pad for a long time uh, good is what the individual decides it to be as long as it, that good doesn't hurt or is bad for other people and this is snuck into a lot of areas this is snuck into some belief systems that have an ultimate authority and then we because we're, we're a little influenced by this relativism, begin to pick and choose what could be truth and what may not be truth, even though there's an absolute here. That's why you see this, this buffet style of religion in modern society. They take a little from here, a little from here, a little from here, put on their plate. Hopefully the caloric intake is not too high, and, and you're a good person, and, and you're not offending too many people, and there, there you have your religion of modernity. But is it possible? Can the philosophy of you do you and I'll do me really work? Well, if you really think about it and you simplify it down, you boil it down, you make a nice sauce out of it, you, you look at if my good is bad for you and your good is bad for me, how can our goods actually be good? Someone's good has to be bad. Both of us cannot be correct. That is the truth. So relativism, still stillborn. Now, even with that reality, people still adhere to this. But what, I, what I've seen, and I don't know what to call it, um, but there's this new relativistic way of thinking about things. We still want to decide what is good for ourselves, but in the last 10 years, we see that I'm deciding my good, and if you don't agree with my good, shame on you, and I'm going to go get you. And I see this more and more and more played out, in a lot of our lives, and right now, mainly, it's the political arena. We see sides taken, sides to side, this is good. And then, when you don't agree with my side, you are my enemy, so I go after you. This is leading society to do some really sketchy and not-so-good things in the name of what they've decided they're good to be. Or perhaps in our modern understanding of good, we've been guided by the expectation that good should earn us something. It's that, that idealism that I think has its feet in, in some, some proper places, but in America, we're like, we're after that good life. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't strive for a good life. But what I am saying is sometimes our box for good things and experiences contain happy, exciting, peaceful, luxurious Healthy, comfortable, profitable, safe, easy, those type of things. We're like, oh, yeah, that's good. But things that are hard, slow, um, painful, uncomfortable, long, those don't get put in our good box. We look at that like, "Uh, I don't know if that's good, Eileen. I would challenge that because as I'm raising uh, these two little life forms that I have to become humans one day, I noticed that growing up is often hard, difficult, long, full of skint knees, sometimes, hopefully not us, but sometimes broken bones. And it can be a little dangerous sometimes to to journey from child to adult. But we all have to make that journey. And I'll say in my own 30, almost eight years, the journey from child to where I'm at now wasn't full of the first list only. It's been full of both. So I'd like to say that good things should and will be full of that first list and the second. Why do we strive for what we strive for? Why are we after good anyway? Ultimately, Christianity believes that's how we're designed. You go all the way back to the account of when God created all things. It was good. Then he created humans. We were very good. And then he gave us the job to be cultivators of good. And then we messed it up. We were bad. We call that sin, which is basically it's it's cosmic treason against God by breaking the only rule he had. Don't be bad. And from there good was unachievable. From there, we strived after this thought of, I get to decide what's good for me. That's actually probably where relativism was birthed. We just didn't name it. So we st- we st- like strive and strive and strive after this good. But I think there's good reasons we try to be good. I think families want to be looked at as a good family. I think moms and dads want to see the goodness of their efforts flow through their children. They want to be good sports. They want to be good students, good citizens, do something good for the world. We as adults, we want to be known and thought well of in our workplaces, our neighborhoods, our friendships. And we want to end life looking back, not on all the stuff we've accumulated, but all the people we've affected in good ways. I think that's the character of God flowing out of humanity even with his brokenness, because we are image bearers of good. So like Nicodemus, we strive after goodness, some of us because it's expected, some of us because we think it's a currency that earns us something. But there's a beautiful problem with this pursuit. In Nicodemus's case, God's standard, his law, was a lofty one, set so high that it was impossible for Nicodemus, or anyone else for that matter, to achieve goodness without having to atone for the maybe very, very few times that he was bad. And in modern societies, I think uh, this moving target of what good may be is just as hard to hit as perfection. So when we truly understand that we are incapable of deep, soul-level goodness on our own, we do something that's super beautiful. We seek out help. Maybe this is why Nicodemus met Jesus in the middle of the night. Could have been that he realized this. Man, I cannot keep these laws. I know where they are. I know why I should. God is good. I should be doing this. But dang, I have a bad day here and there. And as a Pharisee, he would have known that wasn't good enough. And this leads us to the conversation that Jesus wants to have with Nicodemus. And our second point, Christ lights up the dark. Have you ever experienced that night? You've got to wake up for some reason. Maybe it's a crying kid. Maybe it's a small bladder. And it's dark, right? But you've been asleep a few hours, so your eyes have fully adjusted to night vision. And it's such a cool feature in humanity. We don't need much light to see at all. Like, you mean very little light. That little dim night light in your hallway that during the day you don't even notice because it's so dim, at night lights up like the whole side of your house because your eyes are designed to open up and get whatever little bit of light there is so that you could see in the dark. So cool. But if you've ever experienced the unfortunate um, immediate night light, Or or overhead light switch on like you're in high school, you're not getting up because it's been like 20 minutes since your dad walked in. Hey, you got to go to school. And he walks in after that and he just flips on that light and you're like, feels like a solar ray has been injected right into your cornea. Yeah, that's not what you want to experience in the morning. You want a gradual, like you come out, it's nice, a little bit of light coming through the shade, you crack them a little, you sit with your coffee as you become human and then eventually you can turn on that overhead light, right? Eventually you can go outside and not be blind because your eyes adjust back down to light. Fun fact, since we're talking about sailors, that's why pirates had patches, not because they got their eye stabbed. It was because they needed one eye for the top deck and they needed one eye for the lower deck. There's no lights on decks. So if they got into a, you know, a skerfuffle down below, they needed to switch that eye patch and they could see in the dark to do their sword stuff. So fun fact. That's free. I'll let you have that one. So I think Jesus is doing something similar here with his, his, his truth-telling to Nicodemus. He's starting with Nicodemus in the pitch-black darkness, and then he's giving him just a little, turn on the nightlight. And Nicodemus pushes back, but, but, but. And then Jesus is like, no, no, no. And then he turns the light just a little bit more. And Nicodemus is like, how is that even thing? And then at the end, we'll see him just turn on the overhead lights and, Nicodemus, come on in. So as we walk through this combo, keep that in mind. So Nicodemus does something uh, probably pretty common, I would imagine, and something that maybe we should do. is He greets Jesus with a statement that seems like it's a, a compliment. He says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing unless God was with them. Like if someone said that to me, I'd be like, thanks, bro. Yeah, I'm doing my job. Jesus isn't doing this. He doesn't respond even. Um, And I was sitting thinking about why, because it does not say why. I'm like, why why wouldn't Jesus respond at least with, okay, like a, just, yeah, Nicodemus. And my brain went to the human thing. Well, he knows who he is. He doesn't need Nicodemus to tell him he's the son of God. He doesn't need a compliment. But my heart led me to a different place. My heart led me to most likely it's within Jesus' character to care more about God's glory in Nicodemus's life because he loves him than he is to care about his uh, opinions of, of what people think of him. And I think this gets to the heart of why Jesus met Nicodemus in the dark. He loves him, and he wants him to know the truth that God loves him too, enough to draw him out of his darkness And blindness to the pursuit of goodness, into the light, and the beautiful truth that he can't can't do it without God. So when Jesus retorts, he says this. um, Let me find it. Let me say it right. Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Now, the first time I read this when I was a teenager, I thought, what? I thought the same thing Nicodemus did. I'm like, that's impossible. That's kind of a dumb thing to say, right? You just read it at face value, face value, and you're like, what the heck is he saying? Being born again, I mean, that would be horrible. Am I right, moms? We don't want that. Like, that's not something we want to even picture. But as I studied it, as I read it some more in context with all of John and, and with this and with help of some, some older, wiser guys, um, Nicodemus uh, didn't jump to the same conclusion. He probably would have understood that Jesus wasn't being literal, but he knew that Jesus was after something and he was still kind of like, Well, what is he after? So he asks, well, What do you mean? Certainly this isn't possible, right? And then Jesus gets more specific, turns up the light a little bit, opens the shades a little bit. It's, All right, Nicodemus, you're getting there. Your eyes are adjusting. Let me help you out. So he, he retorts. He says, Okay. Unless you've been born by the water and the spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. Jesus wants Nicodemus to see that the way he's pursuing goodness is not just blinding him from the goodness of God. It's actually prohibiting him from entering the kingdom of God, and that is a big deal to Jesus. So he's he's telling Nicodemus, he's like, man, you're striving to be good is the thing that's killing you. Because it's not possible. So as Nicodemus adjusts to this truth, we find a very gracious Jesus that that kind of encourages him a little bit. He's like, all right, it's cool, Nicodemus. Like, the wind will blow where it it blows, right? You know the wind, you see it blowing through the trees, You, you feel it. The wind is like the Spirit. We don't know where it's coming from. We don't know where it's going. We don't know who he's calling and who he's working on. But Nicodemus, that's not your job. Your job is not to decide what good is and how to become better. God's already set that out for you. Your job is simply to step into the breeze and enjoy. Nicodemus' reply is less confused now. A little more spicy. He says, well, how can this be? How can this happen? How is this possible, basically? And Jesus rebukes him, right? You're a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not know these things. Now, that would have cut me to the quick, so I'm assuming it probably did Nicodemus. Like, Eile, like you study the Bible. It's your job, and you don't know this? Nicodemus would have heard it probably in that light. We sp- I've told you earthly things and you do not believe. How can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Important to note here how far Nicodemus has retreated from the theology of his previous statement. You know, started his conversation telling Jesus that it was his supernatural works that proved that he was sent by God, and now he's landed in unbelief that it takes a supernatural rebirth to be born again, to be good. So now we're at the. I think the taproot of Nicodemus' unbelief. Jesus has gotten him down to that part where we really got to do work. And all through these challenges, all through this probably difficult conversation where he he sees that Nicodemus is noticeably frustrated, this really with it guy who came into this combo thinking, yeah, I'm pretty good. I'm going to go and I'm going to meet with Jesus, this dude, and we're going to have some combos about... You know, work stuff, and it's going to be great, you know. And now it's hard. But notice what Jesus does. He stays there. He corrects. He leads Nicodemus further into the light, patiently turning up the lumens, just ever so slightly, as he brings more truth. He's doing the difficult work of loving unlovable people into the love of God. So leads us to our last point, an invitation to step into the light. Jesus met Nicodemus in the dark. He had to speak truth to him. He Nicodemus challenged him the whole way. He corrected lovingly Nicodemus with this truth. And now he's inviting him into the light, of salvation. So Jesus took his time to explain that you can't be good enough, right? You got to be born again. Children aren't Uh, Children don't decide to be born. That is something that, that happens elsewhere. They just are. Nicodemus, in the same way, the spirit goes where it wills, and God rebirths you at his grace and will. So it's not on you, but you're here. So here's the truth. Nicodemus, you're not capable of being good enough to earn God's love or even enter his kingdom by yourself. The beautiful problem with your goodness is it isn't perfect. And you're killing yourself trying to be perfect. So what brings God's gracious good and work of rebirth? Jesus uses this, this illustration from the Old Testament that Nicodemus would have been very familiar with. It's, it's probably a little obscure for us. I had to look it up. Um, this Story of, a, of Moses holding up a bronze snake in the wilderness soon after the Israelites are, are rescued. So they, the Israelites lived in a, a very wealthy nation. I mean, albeit as slaves and not in a good life situation. But they had food, they had water, they had all that kind of thing. And now they're in the desert free, but they're having to forage and scavenge and do all that. So they start complaining pretty heavily. Heavily enough that God took notice and punished them. By sending poisonous snakes into their camp. I know, extreme, right? So they go to Moses to say, we've messed up. We're repenting. Authentically, And Moses is like, all right, I'll I'll go to God. Goes to God and God's like, yes, I accept the repentance. Here's how it will play out. Make a bronze snake. Put it on a staff. Hold it up high enough for everyone to be able to look at it. And those that do in authentic repentance will be saved from the snake bites and the snakes. Nicodemus knew the story. He knew. He's like, okay, yeah, yeah, I get it. I get it. I get it. God is good. We're not. We need him. Yeah, and then Jesus is like, but wait, I am like the snake. You see, Nicodemus, no one can be good because no one has been to heaven but the Son of Man, the one who was in heaven, descended down to humanity, and will reascend. Up into heaven. That is the only one that can be perfectly good, and that is me. And God is going to lift me up on a stick like this serpent, and all who look on me with repentance and belief will be made good, will be saved from the pursuit of goodness. So Jesus becomes this beautiful illustration of this bronze snake in the wilderness in real time. Back to the Jupiter Lighthouse. By this point in the conversation, Jesus has shown Nicodemus the full brilliance of the truth of his good news. And if you've ever seen the piercing light that comes out of a lighthouse uh, over the water and imagine the fog that it could cut through, it makes sense that Christ is called the light and life of man. So a lighthouse's job was to shine through so that sailors could see it and it's the only beacon they had so they would not be wrecked on these rocks and reefs and make it to the inland and in their final destination in safety but on the cross Jesus became that first ship that sailed through the shallows with no light and we are the rock our sin is that rock and reef that punctured his boat and sunk him to the depths of hell so that he could fight sin death and satan for the keys of the kingdom And he kicked their butts, by the way, resurrected to the throne of heaven so that he could send the Holy Spirit down to make each one of us like little walking lighthouses sent out everywhere we go into the darkness so that people could know the truth that the pursuit of whatever good you have in your mind is good is not enough. There is a God that wants to make you perfect through his son's sacrifice and all it takes is looking upon him and acknowledging that truth in repentance. Jesus entered the darkness to call Nicodemus to repent from the pursuit of goodness and to believe that God loves him and wants him enough to pour perfection through the sacrifice of his only son so that he could be a part of God's kingdom. And God offers that same patient, sacrificial love to every single one of us, no matter where our darkness lies. So today, do-gooders, striving after whatever it is we think makes us good, understand this. There is but one perfection and is found in Christ Jesus. And through that perfection given to us by repentance, you will be made so good through the love of God that you will be his forever. No more loving God enough to make it to heaven. God has loved you enough to give you himself, which is like heaven. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this time to come to you and acknowledge the beauty that is your sacrifice. You're perfect with, perfectly within your right in the garden when our first ancestors defied you to start over. Go back to the drawing board but you didn't. You saw it coming. You knew what was up. You decided before you even created that when this happened, you would be ready with a plan, and that plan was Christ. Help us to see that. Help us to understand that if we pursue Christ, he will make us the goodness that we're trying to be, and he will give us the power to lead other, others to that place. Be with us today as we do all things for you. In Jesus' name, amen.